Welcome to the Mostly Skateboarding Podcast. I'm your host, Temple Tonelli, and I'm joined this week by Mike Munzrider and Patrick Kigongo to talk about thrashers and scramble. But first, Kolnowicki did some investigative journalism seeking to shed light on the mysterious bootleg Bobby Puglio boards. So we've got him here to tell us what he discovered. Cole, thanks for being on the show. Tell us about these bootleg boards and what got you so interested to do a full investigation. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Very stoked to be here and to chat with all of you. So these bootleg boards, I guess the, the general overview uh, for those who aren't familiar is that since around 2001 or 2002, there have been these knockoff Bobby Puglio complete skateboards that have been floating around kind of all over the world. And they are sort of in the similar vein of like a Nash, if you're familiar with that, sort of a cheap toy store slash department store style board. Uh, but they're just kind of emblazoned with Bobby Puglio's name. And he did not consent to that, doesn't get any financial kickback from that. And they are made by this company called Bolang, who has been cranking them out for, I guess, over 20 years now. And Bolang is a subsidiary of a Chinese sporting goods manufacturing company. And I've known about these boards for a long time now, probably first stumbled across them, photos of them probably on Slap back in the day. And I've always been kind of fascinated with the story in general, such a curious piece of skateboarding lore. And a couple of weeks ago, I decided to just try and figure out the origins of these things. Wow. So really only a couple of weeks of pounding the pavement? Yeah. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of cold calling, a lot of emailing. It uh, has been an interesting, interesting couple, couple few weeks. Well, it, it yielded a very interesting article. Um, and it, it's like, we almost got like a bonus infamous skateboards history, which I really appreciated. So are you a trained journalist? I feel like this this is like like some real deal reporting. Uh, no, no. I have, uh, I studied creative writing a bit in post-secondary school and I've been working professionally as a writer in some form or another, uh, whether like freelance or marketing stuff for probably over a decade, uh, but no, no trained journalism. And I actually the special investigation tag that I put on some of these articles on my newsletter uh, kind of started in jest because I think if you scroll back through the history of the newsletter, the first special investigation is trying to figure out who pissed on my balcony. <laughs> but, you know, when it comes up to to a story like this, I actually had to do some investigating. And so I think the the title fits a little better this time around. I, I never did find out who pissed on my balcony. Spoiler. <laughs> Shoot. Well, you did get to the bottom of this pretty well or about as well as I think one could without, I don't know, learning various Chinese languages or, or whatever. Was, was When you're working on this project, did it kind of start like, oh, I'll dip my toe in and see? It, it feels like it could be something that really snowballs, like when you're actually talking to, I forget his name, but the guy who, you know, took offense to not being called a skater who was doing infamous, like as you got deeper and deeper, we were like, geez, how, how far am I going to go on this? Yeah, I mean, when I first started, uh, I was just watching YouTube clips. Bobby Puglio did an interview with the Nine Club a couple years ago, and he mentioned that all well, his theory was that one infamous skateboards, his former sponsor back in the late 90s, early 2000s, when they went out of business, that they either just liquidated their stock or sold some image rights to a, uh, a toy manufacturer over in China. Um, so I just kind of went from there. And that's, I went to Bowling first. I tried to, tried to f talk to them. Didn't, uh, 
wasn't able to get an interview, but I did speak with their uh, customer service agent who confirmed that the Bobby Puglio graphics were still available for purchase, which is kind of funny. And then I kind of had to work backwards from there through the infamous connection. And there's not a lot of available information about the history of infamous skateboards. Uh, I didn't know who started the company. And for a few days, I was kind of struggling. Didn't really know if it was going to be a story. And then I just did a... Uh, Instagram search of uh, infamous skateboards and sort of fortuitously the founder of infamous Mike Fela had recently started posting like old ads from back in the day and just hashtagging them and that's how I came across him and uh, hit him up in the DMs and then we chatted and then it kind of yeah snowballed from there I love that little uh, serendipity to to get the guy (laughs) a little bit of uh, rudimentary internet research as Jason has to call it Cole, off top, thank you for joining us on the pod this evening. A question here is, what happens to old skateboard brands when they die? More specifically, what happens to their product? And I think you gave us some insight into what happens. But also, what happens to their intellectual property? You know, what if a company from abroad wants to license that name or buy out that name to produce goods that have nothing to do with skateboarding? I mean, that's a pretty fascinating part about this story. And what I was really interested in looking into is... uh, yeah, what happens to a brand when it dies. And when I was talking to Mike Fela, he told me that there was a distributor in Hong Kong that Infamous had sold some dead stock to. And apparently this was a distributor that would take on a lot of dead stock from other board brands at the time that couldn't get uh, rid of it by traditional means. And I haven't been able to 100% confirm who that distributor is. In the story, I sort of point to it being Bolang all along. Just had to look through some Chinese uh, business directories uh, to find out that Bolang did have an office in Hong Kong back in that time, but I haven't been able to confirm it 100%. Um, and in terms of like the intellectual property, as far as Infamous goes, <laughs> I Mike Fela was saying that they like didn't copyright any of their graphics, and I believe this is correct which is kind of fascinating and maybe that was just something more of the time very fast and loose but yeah i don't know a lot of it stays dormant i mean you see a lot of brands these days sort of getting uh reanimated in some form or another so a lot of the time someone holds on to that uh that ip but in infamous's case i don't think anyone does it's just kind of it's just kind of out there that's wild that reminds me of the nine club interview that danny way did sometime last year we talked about how Colin McCain, he were able to purchase the rights to Plan B for a mere $50,000 because basically somebody had failed to cross the T's and dot the I's. And that's particularly troubling to me. But there's also something interesting you bring up here too, that there, there was this distributor in Hong Kong who would take on all this dead stock. I just wonder, is there somebody or is there a company out there that just has all of these goods from the 1990s from companies that never quite made it? on ice still in the wrapping that would be i mean i would love for that to be true and i guess i should say this is uh allegedly regarding the distributor i haven't been able to prove that but one of the stronger hints that bowling was this distributor all along is that in their graphics library which is kind of been in stasis it seems from the 90s because there's a lot of 90s characters and brands you, you can order like knockoff world bra- uh, graphics blind graphics some Dragon Ball Z and uh, Street Fighter stuff. So it's like this could have just been the the last vestiges of 
those libraries. And maybe once they sold all that original stock, they just ripped off uh, what they thought was uh, what was coolest and what would do the best on the market. They probably had the information. They know like, oh, this Bobby Puglio deck sold, sold better than the Jamal Williams deck. So we'll just keep keep running Bobby Puglio's name because apparently everybody loves Bobby Puglio, you know, according to their sales figures. So does this mean that Bobby Puglio is big in China? <laughs> uh, you never know. But the other thing too, it's like these boards that Bobby Puglio completes, they, they pop up all over the world. Bobby tells me that he still gets photos from people of these boards that are in like Spain. And there was a photo that popped up in, I think like the Czech Republic. So these boards get around and on their, on Bowling's uh, Alibaba supplier page, you can, I mean, I guess you got to take a grain of salt to how accurate this information is, but you can actually see how many orders that they put out and where those orders go to. And they're shipping stuff all over the world. It doesn't tell you if it's the skateboards because they also make uh, really dynamic stuff like uh, uh, skateboard chairs and basketball hoops. So it could be that. Um, but they're shipping stuff all over the world. I mean, if there's That's so amazing. Yeah. If they're so fast and loose with, you know, the copyright trademark, trademark stuff, like they should probably burn Bobby Puglio's static two part and just like insert that on a DVD with the completes. <laughs> I mean, All's fair. Sorry, Josh Stewart. One thing I really enjoyed about the story, Cole, was like some of the nuggets in there. One thing that really comes to mind is that Vans, you were told that Vans funded Infamous as a way to infiltrate the New York City scene. Like I'd always, I'd heard of that sort of thing happening. Even recently, like Nike would seed these companies where seemingly everybody on the company rides for Nike too, but Beyond that, or maybe that's the one, like what what was the most surprising thing that came out of reporting the story, in your opinion? Yeah, that was definitely one of the more interesting tidbits uh, that Mike Fela shared. But I think generally just a lot of the infamous skateboards history, because I'm, I'm 33, I started skating in 98, which is when uh, infamous started, and I'm from a rural Albertan town. So I didn't, uh, we didn't get a lot of infamous content. <laughs> where I'm from. So it was really fascinating to just learn more about their history and like talk to guys like Mike Hernandez, who was sort of one of the founding team writers of Infamous and uh, get to hear his thoughts on it. And it was actually interesting to talk to Mike Fela first and get his perspective. And then the team writers who don't have like the rosiest memories of it and just learning like that people really thought this brand had some potential and then it kind of just crumbled very, very quickly and kind of toxically in some ways oh speaking of toxically cole we've talked about that infamous tour video how on earth did that did that go down and opening up to everybody on on the pod right now could some could a tour like that happen in 2023 i feel like these days people like the skaters are too aware of marketability and all that stuff like i, I just think that people aren't going crazy like that anymore just on, yeah, on all some fronts Fred Gall isn't even going crazy anymore. He's sober and seems happy and healthy. I mean, he was wiling on that trip. <laughs> right. Yeah, they're, they're smashing toilets and stuff. <laughs> it's That's next level hell raising. <laughs> it, it's, it's Led Zeppelin at the, um, the Sunset Hyatt Hotel. I mean, I remember it, it surfaced some years ago and it was going around on Slap. It occasionally makes the rounds on Skate Twitter, but... Was there even any skating done? You know, there was somebody who they interviewed there said, like, you know, I pretty much hung up, I hung it up after uh, on skating pretty much after that tour. 
we just got too crazy. Yeah, I think that's Ryan Hickey who says that. I could be wrong. No, uh, it's somebody else. Is it? Um, here, let me pull think, this up while you continue I think the conversation. Matt, Matt Bell is Matt Bell is uh, in the video. I think at the beginning of it. I think I could be wrong. Yeah, but there there are some skating clips. Like they definitely did at least one or two demos because apparently the tour stopped only after two stops, which is uh, probably some kind of record. <laughs> it is Matt Bell. Yeah, and I think I think Ryan Hickey as uh, I think in his Chrome Ball interview or somewhere else. I could be wrong, but I think he says that he he stopped skating sort of after this as well. I mean, it, it looked like a it looked like a wild time, and Ryan Hickey was one of those dudes who there's still to this day there's not a lot of footage of him. Much to it's a interesting source of frustration. This is, I mean, but now I think that was the thing in the '90s. There's a lot of people you just didn't have footage of, and it's actually a very small sliver of skating where you have next level well shot footage of someone so take for example andy stone awful i don't know who was filming him at pulaski when he was on 101 or even in fight artists it was dreadful and i feel like we're all we've all been robbed because we never got to see nice well shot footage of andy stone i think there are just like less people out there with video cameras back then you know you, you didn't really have like your choice of like all right there's like three kids who film and this guy's the best it's just like Oh, there's there's one guy with a camera, so I guess he's got to be my filmer, whether he's good or not. I mean, speaking of cameras and video cameras meeting a uh, ill fate or ill fated end, like <laughs> I'd read that that Hickey interview, but I'd forgotten about that whole uh, video camera thing. There's just so much in here. I um, I don't know where I'm going with this question. Not not to like ask an ending question by any means, but. It, are are you done mining this uh this saga for for info Cole, or is there is it on the back burner just waiting for new leads uh well that's interesting because uh i guess to fill in a little more backstory so the camera incident that you mentioned uh is sort of ultimately what led to the downfall of infamous where ryan hickey in a crowball interview details how uh at a contest i think out in jersey he and matt bell got a little sauced up and uh, went to the hotel room uh, of Chris Pastris. We're vibing him a bit because uh, I think Ryan Hickey had just been uh, recently booted off of stereo. And they left, came back later that night, found the hotel door open, went in the room, took a, a video camera that they saw there, thought it was Deluxe's, that's who was carrying stereo at the time. And they stole this camera, they brought it to a pier and just dropped it into the Atlantic Ocean. And what they didn't know is it wasn't Deluxe's camera, it was Vans, who was the backer of Infamous, uh, Ryan Hickey's sponsor. <laughs> and then Mike Fela confirmed to me that that was ultimately what led to Vans pulling their funding. And after that, they needed some financial help. So Mike Fela at the time was involved with this sort of obscure action sports and hip-hop magazine called Fridge. And those guys came in they provided some financial backing for infamous and then as Fela tells it he sort of started losing creative control um a lot of the team riders got mad that their graphics were being changed uh became a bit a bit of a chaotic situation uh, a lot of the team riders left eventually Fela left the company and ultimately what happened to the rest of infamous's stock we don't know because it, the fridge guys probably sold it off but we don't know exactly what happened to it and they they are essentially the missing piece to the story 
And I found one of the guys, uh, the former like founder and editor chief of Fridge. I found him online and I sent him a message and I didn't hear back before the article went live, but I did hear back from him yesterday. <laughs> oh, so what's, what's uh, you saying? So Any updates? Gonna... What's the scoop, man? Yeah. I mean, unfortunately I don't have a scoop yet. We're going to chat next week. So the only scoop there could be is either the hypothesis in the article is correct. That is bowling all along, or it was a different distributor. Um, but hopefully we'll, we'll get some, uh, get some finality to the story. It's great to hear. I'm excited for a, a part two or a continuation of the saga. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. So Cole, something I've really appreciated about your approach, to this particular story is that you were able to weave a whole bunch of different narratives together. Um, you talked a little bit about the gray market of skateboarding. You talk about a company that you provide some insight to a company that is often uh, discussed, you know, by a lot of us old heads who remember late '90s, early 2000s, New York City skateboarding. You talk a lot about the the question of skate companies getting financial backing from uh, maybe a larger shoe company, and it's all coherent and it ties all together. And it almost feels like there is a lane for these types of discussions and this type of uh, investigative reporting. So, what are some what are some other what are some other topics that you you've thought about maybe diving into where you would be able to give them this treatment? I mean, for example, I would love to know. You know, we were a bunch of us were joking about how uh, unfortunately Dwindle is going through financial straits and they've um, been going through a round of layoffs and a couple of companies are pretty much on the verge of shuttering. A lot of us would love to know what happened the initial time when World got sold to a private equity firm. And, you know, what are some other topics like this that you would love to give um, give this same treatment? Yeah, well, first, I'm glad that the story made sense. I was worried that you <laughs> packing a little too much in there. So that's good to hear. And in terms of other stories, the Duendo one, I've actually sent that uh, private equity firm an email just to see if I can get any clarity there. I haven't heard back from them, which probably makes sense. But in terms of like, investigating stuff. I I have a couple ideas in the back burner, but there's some other things that I've been uh, interested in that maybe I'm only interested in, uh, which is that in, in doing a lot of this research uh, about skateboarders, a lot of it does take place on uh, LinkedIn, strangely enough. And a lot of pro skateboarders have LinkedIn. And I find this sort of translation of this non-traditional career into a space designed to promote very traditional careers interesting that's something i'd like to explore like i, I for the newsletter i wrote a little thing about seba krokoff and he has a, a very robust linkedin and that's how i found out he didn't ride for red bull anymore because his sponsors were listed in his work history and i just find yeah i just find that kind of stuff fascinating like how uh a skateboarding career sort of meshes with or translates to uh the wider wider world work world and i have another idea that i've been kind of tossing around which is maybe more in uh, sort of the fact finding lane and uh doing some sort of i don't know if any maybe someone's done this before but i haven't come across it but doing a sort of pro slash amateur skateboarder anonymous survey to to learn about the sort of behind the scenes stuff in a pro or amateur skateboarder's career like how much like an individual, each individual sponsor pays, like what sort of stipulations are in the contract, that sort of thing. Like what, what they see, like the viability of a career in professional skateboarding to be. Cause I think there's just so much of that information that we just have never really had good insight into. We get drips and drabs 
But I think something like that would be like interesting to do. But I think also maybe like helpful to skateboarders when they're in contract negotiations or be good for media to know stuff generally. And, you know, it'd be probably good for just fans to know like how much or how little skateboarders are making when they're putting themselves on the line in the way that they do for entertainment. So I think that's probably one of the bigger ones I'd like to, to take on. Yeah, that, that could be a simple magic, uh, mostly skateboarding podcast collaboration. Because I think, Templeton, you have a working database. I do, yeah. Every, every time I hear something about money that pro skaters make, I put it in, in my little spreadsheet. So, you oh, know, amazing. some Canadian New York rider said he made 500 bucks a month in the mid-2000s, so that's in there. And then, you know, somebody, you know, told me a rumor or... I heard this or that, and it's all in there to be used someday. And I even talked to, um, I talked to Ryan Clements quite some time ago to try and do some kind of article about like how much pro skaters make. And we never could really come to a conclusion of, of a way to share that information, but not like put his business in any, uh, vulnerability. So it's, yeah, it's, uh, something of great interest to me for sure. Yeah. Because there's a, a number of years back when the athletic used to have uh, an MMA vertical before that got unceremoniously trashed, they did a really amazing like anonymous survey, like a series of articles uh, that have really uh, like illuminated a lot of spark, a lot of parts of that sport in terms of like fighter treatment, pay that sort of stuff, and has been like really helpful going forward. Um, even as that uh, outlook got got summarily uh, taken apart. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, I think it could be pretty useful and also just interesting. Yeah. So not just interesting, not just interesting. Um, and something that would serve to level the playing field. I think it would probably settle a lot of skate park and skate shop disputes over the years, because it often feels like when you're just talking about how much a professional skateboarder makes, you know, everyone just kind of, uh, fumbling in the dark. We, we genuinely don't have any idea. And one of the reasons why we know how much most professional athletes are paid is because of collective bargaining agreements, because most professional sports either have a players association or a union, some sort of way uh, to provide transparency. And what's super irritating is that it actually, I got to ask you, Cole, do you feel like that there is active resistance within the skateboard industry by skateboard companies or companies that pay skateboarders? So this could be a Nike and Adidas, a Red Bull, whoever. Do you feel like that there is an active push by those organizations to keep things opaque? Or do you think that this is just some something that can be filed under their, the phrase typical skateboarding? Uh, I can't say if there's like an active push. Uh, I think unfortunately, yeah, as you're saying, if there's no collective action, there, at least as far as I know, there's never ever like even been momentum towards that. And with pro, pro skaters essentially being independent contractors, they don't really have any protections. So if they wanted to get a union or an organization together, they could be easily dropped from sponsors. So that I think it's, uh, the threat is probably real, but again, I don't, I don't know if there's any been, if there's ever been any active pushback from, from companies or anything, but maybe the fact that we haven't heard any noise about that speaks, speaks to that. I feel like we floated the idea on here before and other people have brought it up of just you know like how pro tennis players have organized and that they're all independent but they have you know not it's not true collective bargaining but bargaining based on numbers and you know you hear stories about 
pro skaters, active pro skaters, very good pro skaters who also DoorDash just to make, you know, they're driving for DoorDash to make things actually work for their careers. So I guess I'm just underscoring the necessity here for some, something like that. Oh, 100%. And even just skateboarding at that high of a level and skateboarding, just the level of skateboarding increases every year. I mean, you just watch, we'll talk about Anne Scram Anne Scramble in a bit, but like you watch the stuff that those guys are doing in a span of like a nine day trip or whatever. It's like that is literal life and death stuff and they don't have any health insurance <laughs> as far as we know, any protections beyond that. It is, uh, I think we've just come to accept it because it's never been there. But I mean, if there's ever a chance to get skateboarders, professional skateboarders, some sort of uh, collective bargaining some sort of protection that way. I think, yeah, something to to push for, for sure. Yeah, Clint Singleton had talked about it quite a bit in the 1990s. Um, the homeboy, Kingdom Skateboards, Chris Gentry, and his then-wife, Rika, they were big proponents of a skaters' union as well. It's just, uh, my, my own personal theory is that because California is the home of skateboarding and because California was quite, and still remains very, very reactionary and anti-worker in a lot of ways, that the skateboarding industry, for better or for worse, has internalized a lot of that. And it's really, 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 really tough to get people, regular, regular, regular Americans to talk about wage transparency, uh, never mind skateboarders. So it's not just it's not just unique to skateboarding. But one thing I really struggle with, and I think obviously sponsored and professional skateboarders really have to live with is the fact that we internalize this. It's like, yo, you're paying your dues. This is just normal. And then because it's something that's happened so frequently that we think it's okay when it's it's clearly not. But, you know, this is probably a whole other conversation. But, I mean, I imagine that if you are able to publish a really definitive account of how much the average pros are, are making, more importantly, if you could get if you could get the top 20 pros to divulge, I think that would be a game changer. That'd be that'd be really interesting to see how people are getting money. Maybe shifting gears a little bit, Cole. I mentioned the name of your Substack, SimpleMagic.substack.com. You're super consistent with that. And geez, we've been talking. We've been talking money. Do you have some subscribers? You getting any uh, getting any cash off this effort? Because you, like I said, very consistent. That's not easy, especially the way you're doing it with a lot of legwork and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a free-to-read thing. People have pledged money towards it, which is very nice, and I appreciate that. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I would always want it to be free-to-read. I don't know if you can just, maybe at some point. I don't, I don't think uh, I have enough subscribers to do, like, a donation thing. Beyond that, like, it's uh, I've just been really enjoying doing it. I think for the past year and a half, I've been just trying to be very consistent. Like there's the the Friday post that comes out every week. And then starting this year, I've been trying to do more of these uh, different stories, whether they're features or interviews or just writing about something that I just have general interest in. And it's just a good good exercise to, to just keep the, the writing muscle sharp too. Yeah, man, I, I appreciate the work. And uh, yeah, not to put any other Substack skaters on notice but again your consistency with it is a thing to behold so uh, thank you mm, yeah thank you and i know along with writing a Substack, you're working on a book um how's that going it's good yeah uh the book is done it's called write down plus circle and it is sort of about the history of tony hawk's pro skater the video game franchise 
Um, and it explores the, the history of the game, how it borrowed from skateboarding culture and how it's inevitable giant success in turn changed skateboarding culture itself. And, and yeah, that thing is done. I think I will get the final copy at its back sometime this month and then it should be available in the fall. Wow. That's soon. That's incredible. I, I mean, you know, Cole, not going too deep into your book, and I certainly don't want you to give any spoilers. You know, what was it like revisiting the cultural impact of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater? I mean, I'm, I'm a Tony Hawk's Pro Skater kid. That was essentially my entry into skateboarding. You know, obviously I had the older brother who got me into it because everyone does. Um, and Tony Hawk's Pro Skater was a big part of my sort of awakening to skateboarding. It's sort of a, a stilted uh, entryway into skateboarding as that is. But, you know, like going back and even just like reading uh, video game reviews from the time, like even from the standpoint of uh, of a video game, like it was getting like 10 out of 10s, like perfect video game. I think IGN gave it a 10 out of 10, which is, you know, no small feat, especially for a uh, quote unquote action sports video game. And then just to read accounts of how the game has impacted people's lives um, is pretty, pretty interesting. Bringing friends together, forming friendships around it, you know folks with disabilities who uh just you know found like their own sort of freedom through the game that sort of thing it uh it has it has had quite a substantial impact like just in the wider world and yeah i don't i don't know if that ever gets brought up a lot but it's a pretty impactful game i was just thinking of it i just looked up when it was released so um i just had it september 29 1999 I'd been skating for roughly like, well, four years, four and a half years right there. And so it was like a pre-THPS skater who didn't stick around. I think I played two and I was still disappointed that they didn't uh, animate the Nolly inward heel. So I kind of ghosted on it after that. <laughs> I, I, you see it on social media where people, you know, put in as much time as any of us skateboarders did, but they never skateboard. And I, that's fascinating to me. Like the soundtrack, mm -hmm. the soundtrack has legs that that still go. We're gonna have to um, probably do the Tony Hawk Pro Skater topic that we have never done once the book comes out. You're gonna have to talk to our booker and get back on here, Cole. I'd love to. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We'll revisit, do a whole thing on the book. Yeah, I'm, that's something I'm really looking forward to, especially um, from just the music perspective, because the soundtracks to those video games introduced a lot of people to stuff that they probably wouldn't have heard otherwise. It's worth mentioning that by the time Turnout's Pro Skater dropped, MTV was leaning heavily into reality television. And because of media consolidation here in the United States, you weren't hearing anything new, different, alternative on the radio. So for a lot of young people, or then young people, it was a massive musical awakening. Oh, yeah. Like, kind of much in the same way that skate videos can do that. I think Tony Hawk's Pro Skater did that for a lot of people as well. You know, maybe not, uh, like, what would be considered maybe the coolest of music at all times, but pretty impactful. Yeah, and, you know, it, like, inspired, like, there are, like, really popular Tony Hawk's Pro Skater cover bands that, like, are all all over the world, which is amazing. Yeah, we'll we'll get into all that in the fall. This it's very very exciting to to get a little tease, but I think we should move on to the end scramble unless anybody else has any questions for Cole. No, yeah, it's a good time to to cut it because yeah, I want I want all the book questions. I want to ask ask all those. So. Cool. All right. It's been a few years since we talked about the Am Scramble Thrasher's All Am Skate Trip article video offering. 
This year's edition was heavy, with Nick Matthews leading the charge along with Dylan Jay, Patrick Promen, and more hitting the streets of Boston. Mike, uh, what'd you make of this year's scramble? What did I make of this year's scramble? Um, is that Kieran Woolley, the only Olympic gold medalist to be also an Anna scrambler? Is, is that what we're walking away with? I think that's probably right. He won a gold medal? Yeah, he won the skate park gold medal. He shows how much attention I was paying to the men's. <laughs> yeah, interesting situation. No, oh, good video. I mean, I enjoyed it. It was faster than its runtime, and... Um, yeah, I mean, I essentially seen all of Nick Matthews' clips from there because uh, I don't know about y'all, but being here in the Midwest, people were just <laughs> posting and reposting and reposting again any anything that guy had in that video. So um, he's the obvious standout for me, I, I suppose. Dylan Jabe, he's coming up. I, I feel like I got to retract previous statements on this podcast when he was more of just like a Southern California skate park guy. And I pass judgments based only on that, but that guy's really good. And I got to give him props for being uh, like a C camera on the trip because, you know, he's <laughs> maybe the second best dude on that, on that, on the AM scramble, but he's also willing to get behind the camera. And I find that commendable. Mm -hmm. In regards to that point about him coming alive, skating Boston, how do we make that happen more frequently? Because everybody here looked like, A, they were having fun. Seems like they were getting along. I mean, obviously, you're not going to show people beefing or complaining about each other's farts in the van. But I don't know. First of all, Boston looking nice. Yeah, I think it's the best <laughs> Boston's ever looked. <laughs> like, it looked like, I was just like, Boston has all these, like, like this, that, you know, that part of Massachusetts has all these parts, the greater uh, Boston metro area. I was impressed. I, I was... I was really impressed, and I think um, the only thing that bummed me out was the music. I've said it once, I've said it again, please, no more stock cold wave. It just, it's gotten awful. It becomes, it becomes like background noise, which is one of the worst things to happen when you're soundtracking a video. Also, um, a little PPE notice here. If you're doing rub brick, wear a mask and definitely wear eye protection because uh, those little particles of concrete can do an incredible amount of damage to your insides. Uh, Cole, our esteemed guest, what do you think of this episode or this year's or uh, edition of the AM Scramble? I liked it. I think that the AM Scramble, my hot take is that as like a franchise, it's good. I think there's not a lot of uh, <laughs> ways that AMs can kind of get the springboard anymore. And I think this is a really... Uh, substantial way for them to do that. Um, like at to sort of jump on the Dylan Jeb bandwagon here. I mean, I sort of had the same same uh, picture of him, just kind of Southern California Instagram kid. But in the Meet the Scramblers interview and then in his follow up interview uh, that went online on Thrasher's site afterwards, he just seems like a really level headed kid, considering that he was essentially uh, came up and through social media, which I think is a pretty challenging thing to do and he's like very aware of it yeah he just came off really well to me and i think overall the edit was was pretty tight would have liked to see more from vittoria and noah Mathieu. i might be butchering his last name but yeah beyond beyond that i thought it was i thought it was pretty good I thought it was a fun time yeah we didn't get much of noah at all i, I can't i can't remember any clips of his maybe um i don't know maybe he just wasn't uh Maybe the, all the pressure was just too much for him. It's a heavy crew. It is a heavy crew. Uh, Victoria, it was really awesome. I would have liked to. Likewise, I also would have 
it would have been nice to see a little bit more of her. But I love that Jenkim interview um, that she did some time ago where they just kind of followed her around for a day. And she seems just really, really cool. And I think it's just further proof that just Brazil is the coolest place in the world when it comes to skateboarding and just produces just fascinatingly good and interesting skateboarders who look good on their board. So another question is, does Am Scramble have the potential to become a franchise as cool or as interesting as King of the Road? I, it, it's kind of like King of the Road minus the silliness is just like just serious ripping. And, and that's like kind of the best. My ultimate desire is just to see like, you know, put together a crew of ripping dudes and set them loose on some new terrain to get them excited and, you know, see what you get, which is going to be good. So that's funneling your beers into your asshole sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a lot of energy gets spent on some wacky stuff. Oh, am I allowed to curse here? I didn't. I didn't ask that previously. Yeah, yeah. I apologize. Fuck yeah. Okay. <laughs> we're we're all some trans world ass skaters here. We just want to see the skateboarding. No, uh, right. No butt chugs. Right. I mean, I I think the butt <laughs> chugs. I've never all... said that on this podcast. <laughs> I I think all the challenges and stuff makes it for makes for a more interesting TV show. You know, I I don't think the Anne Scramble would be very exciting for Vice, but for us diehard skate fans i think it's perfect and i think it's a really strong franchise for thrasher and it really does showcase the the next generation i was i was looking through previous am scrambles and on the first one there was um there were two sodies there was jamie foy and um fuck i can't remember his name right now louis friend rides for real mason silva mason silva yeah jamie foy and mason (laughs) silva were on so it, it's it's got a pedigree for sure. Oh yeah, Aid skater. If you get scrambled, huh? I, I think so. I wonder how true that is now. I, I think that looking back, the crews were heavier in the beginning, and now there's some, uh, I don't know, some dudes I, with with maybe less potential. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was a it was a top heavy lineup, and that's unfair when I don't know one one of the pe- one of the skaters with the most hype of the past. 12 months is on on the trip and nick matthews and uh patrick Kramen is very good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah it, it would be a tough one if if you're not as purely skilled as as those other skaters so any predictions for folks who were in the van for this edition of am scramble future sodies who's turning pro first we gotta know i think dylan jabe will probably be the first to go pro i think that Antihero will probably sit on Nick Matthews for a little bit, even though I think he's the most deserving of going pro and the man with the most hype. You know, he's got more hype than most pros right now. So I, I think he's the most deserving of the pro nod, but I think it's going to be Dylan Jabe. I think Primitive has no problem turning somebody pro. So I think he's going to be the next. I think Rob Pace, Santa Cruz, they got a pretty, pretty quick trigger finger on that. Um, and he is just unbelievably gnarly so uh, that that would be my guess i think mike what do you think mm, these are all pretty sound calls i i yeah i'll, I'll just be a homer I'm, I'm pulling for the nick matthews pro model you know the quick like barely barely sponsored the pro let's let's make it happen i like it what do you think patrick, patrick? uh patrick Proman, pro by summer yeah that, that, that makes sense it kind of felt like he was about to turn pro with that uh three seasons part Exactly. I think he's going to deliver one more just in time for the summer season and bong. It's going to be, he has delivered consistency. Um, Dylan Jabe, I think um, 
is probably going to end up a little bit like um, who's a whole bald homeboy from Supreme Ben Cadell. I think those of us who uh, talk shit on him, I think uh, he's going to become a fan favorite. He's going to he's going to convert a lot of people. I mean, there was the second angle of that switch 360 flip he did on the double set where it sounded like his board broke when he landed, but it mm -hmm. was weird ground. The second angle on that from behind was incredible because that was like a platonically perfect switch 360 flip. He's very good. Yeah. Just... He looked very... Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. Just just stay in the streets, Dylan, and then that's, that's how you're going to do it. Yeah, he, he cut a, a perfect Mike Mo silhouette with that one. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, he is the second coming. So, did somebody put in the in the note the show notes that uh, they felt like Mike Moe or Dylan Daver an industry plant? Let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I I think I put that in there. I think that Dylan Jabe, when he first came on the scene, had strong industry plant vibes. Like he was just quintessential SoCal skater, and I had absolutely no interest in him. Even though, I, like, I would watch the part, and there was there was nothing that I could pinpoint was wrong. You know, like, he skates perfect. He's got good style, good trick selection, all that stuff. But it just it just gave me industry plant vibes. Like, he was too perfect, I guess. Like, he was engineered to be the perfect skater. But after watching this, I I've become a fan. Did anybody else get industry plant vibes from early Dylan Jabe? Yeah, kind of. Maybe just because the, the spots that, that he was skating weren't particularly imaginative or, or interesting. But... It's, I, I imagine that it's kind of hard to be an industry plant in skateboarding. They're, they're, at the very least, baseline, you got to have some ability. Oh, Tumbling, is that your new kitten? <laughs> it is. Oh, what, hi, bud. Hello. What, what exactly do you mean by industry? Yeah, excuse me. Industry plant, though. Um, hmm. Yeah, that, that's a funny question. Uh, you know, like the Supreme Court justice said, I know it when I see it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. That. That's I'll one of my that. lines if I can't explain something, so I'm down yeah. with that. <laughs> but, you know, like an industry plan in, in the music industry, for example, will be somebody who is, you know, in, in activism, it's called astroturfing. In the music industry, it's when you have somebody who seemingly appears out of nowhere and you'd think, like, wait a minute, like, where'd this person come from? I've yeah, exactly. It's like he just How came like... fully formed. Yeah. Oh, here's this dude formed. you've never heard of. He's on Primitive and he's doing like amazing tricks exactly you you've never seen this person at spots you could be in the mix you could be an industry insider yourself and you have no idea where this person came from gotcha jape is a is an interesting story like he was on zero for a while which seems strange uh he was on dc for a while it seems like he uh really kind of floated around sponsors and i think was maybe just to his credit maybe being a little choosy which i don't think a lot of folks are yeah, so he's, he's had a pretty interesting journey to get to where he is now, which he's on Primitive and Nike. I don't know. Maybe he could be a plant, though. Maybe Jamie tried to plant him, and then he just kind of grew in the direction, a different direction. It's like a Jason Bourne type thing. Like, he got self-actualization, left the skate park in San Diego. I guess so. I, I mean, it, it, it's weird, too, because um, none of us are, are Southern California natives. I live here, but I've only been here for, what, almost nine years this year. And we're probably also showing our own biases against too much of that type of skating. And maybe in the 90s, you could get away with it. But right now, it's like, dog, if you're just skating Southern California schoolyards and skate parks, why should we care? Why should anybody in skateboarding care? I think my biggest point of prejudice was um, the Explore page on Instagram. 
was where where I'd encounter skating mostly. And it was all impeccable ledge lines, you know, funky, I don't know, angular footed flat ground and all that. It was mostly the explore page because gosh, that explore page would just dredge up the most annoying skateboarding every time. That is true. In in his Thrasher interview on their website, his follow-up interview, he says in his earlier Instagram kid days, he posted every day for two years, wow. which is Good that theme building. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I mean, that, that's what that's what got him where he is today. You know, that's that's some serious work ethic. And if I was a team manager, that's that's the kind of kids I'd be looking for. You know, somebody who's got some uh, initiative and a strong work ethic. He's gonna hit the posting quota like easy. Yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. And, he, and he's probably what... like, you know, you email him like, hey, you need to post about the shoe today. And he's like the first dude to post and probably writes his own copy and everything. And it's like, he's probably just a dream to work with, just a good dude. I'm sorry I ever doubted you, Dylan. <laughs> Maybe he'll come on the pod and just say, okay. Ask us uh, for an apology. Yeah, we can we could ask it all all out. I think all parties would be stoked on that. There's a there's a note saying where would you like the next Am Scramble to be? I live in Canada, so I'm going to be a homer and I'm going to say Montreal. I think that would be cool. Oh yeah, Montreal would be a great Am Scramble destination. Ain't no skating going to get done in Montreal. You know they're going to be at the club the entire time. No way. You, you, they select the scramblers for the skating. You know, I think they they keep keep a tight leash on these guys and make them skate for 13 hours a day. <laughs> you don't think that the, the nightlife is going to suck them in? Nah, not the AMs. Especially not with old pro, old jaded pros pulling them in the wrong direction. You know, it's just the AMs and the team managers. Everybody's there for business. Photographers, filmers, everybody just wants to skate. Like, save Nick Matthews, who's apparently 27. Thanks for including that, Templeton. I haven't looked at the other accompanying AM, or the am scrambling extras but uh it seemed like everybody else is like 19 or 20 so not an issue in the u.s but yeah canada clubs you might have to select even younger skaters to go to canada is it is it an 18 drinking age across across the country cole uh in montreal i'm not sure it's either 18 or 19 okay yeah yeah we used to drive up to winnipeg for some party weekends here and there that's that's a journey (laughs) <laughs> eight hours one way but worth it most all right any other destinations you could think of for the am scramble baton rouge louisiana that's an interesting one what makes you think that would be a good destination patrick i think it would be the ultimate test baton rouge in high summer oh god you're trying to kill these kids i actually want them scrambled <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> oh my god mike what about you I mean, am I going to top Baton Rouge? Um, I mean, there's always like the Houston thing, you know, our obsession with Houston on this podcast probably be very productive down there. Yeah. There's probably so much, so much untapped handrails. I mean, just, yeah, just go on Wikipedia, figure out what the 24th largest metro area in the country is. It's probably got four to 5 million people and send them there. And that would be interesting. Yeah. My, my, thought was to send them out into i guess the chicagoland suburbs wherever they film the grains videos i think it would be sick to see the am scramblers just make the grains video the grain scramble or what could it be like ham scramble and toast or something see you bring up the chicago suburbs and all of a sudden i'm thinking of 
FA skates videos from the early 2000s and they got to wear like black skinny jeans, little leather jackets. They got a front feeble, everything, everything in sight. Whenever we get Josh from uh, wiskate.com on here, we can you can have the sidebar. Mike and Josh talk about the Chicago suburbs in the early 2000s. We, we have a lot to say there. And that could be an interesting test. And for the record, the 24th largest metro area in the United States is San Antonio, Texas area. Oh, there you go. Go down on the river walk. Hey, there you go. Maybe catch a basketball game, you know. Some rodeo. Yeah, hey, it could be a wild one. This trip's looking good. I've got a friend who lived in San Antonio. She says they've got the best flour tortillas. Can't find them anywhere else. That's enough for me. (laughs) Sign me up. (laughs) All right, so we've got some potential locations lined up. Who do you want in the van? Cole, who are some AMs that you would be hyped? Pick one, one or two. I am a big fan of Nellie Morville at the moment. Uh, I'd be stoked if they were in the van. And is Evan Wasser pro? I don't know. I'm going to say if Evan Wasser isn't pro, get them in there. Yeah, that's a good one. I would put uh, Emile Laurent in the van. I think he'd be a great asset. I don't I don't think he's pro yet. He, he'll certainly be pro by the time the next Am Scramble rolls around, I think. But I think he'd be an excellent addition and, you know, probably skate things a little differently than most. Mike, yeah, got anybody? I'm just thinking about how Emile is apparently on ASICs now and we don't get to see him skating just like the most out there Nike shoes. I'll just I'll just second Emil like screaming and then cavemanning a, a rail or something. That's always good. Yeah. Patrick, you got anybody? Uh who the kid who won Tampa Am last year, skates for Toy Machine, uh Daiki Ikeda. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think that'd be cool. It's like, okay, you could do Tampa Am and we'll put you in the this is the putting you in the van. Let's see how you do. That raises the question of an international and or non-North American am scramble. Oh, okay, okay. Burnout, call us, we'll consult. Yeah, we'll consult, we'll, we'll come and check out all the skate spots and, and test all the restaurants for poisoning. Yeah, we'll do some uh, pre-ops. Pre-ops. We'll be, the pre-ops. We'll be the fixers. Hey, how about this? Biarritz, France, with the last session, you get to hang out with Lucas Puig and have dinner with him and his whole family. Wow. Ooh, I like it. Everybody be right? stoked on that. Which brings us to the end of our show where we talk about what we're stoked on. Cole, what are you stoked on this week? I am stoked on Village Psychic's Patreon page. I just subscribed to that the other day. They do a lot of cool video stuff. And if you subscribe, you get to see it ahead of time. Uh, they are not paying me to say this. And stoked on my Substack, Brother Al Brown's Substack, Al Skatehouse. Always putting out cool, interesting articles. Um, and what else? Uh, oh, last night I went uh, for dinner at a friend's, and they have a toddler. I'm not. I don't. I don't see a lot of toddlers. Um, and it was the, just the most joyful, buoyant creature I've ever seen. Is running around with a screwdriver, having the best time. So I'm just kind of stoked on like youthful, <laughs> buoyant energy. You could cut that. Jesus Christ! I'll go on record as I believe the only parent here. Uh, that all washes, yeah. Toddler with the screwdriver, you're not stopping them. <laughs> stoked on, what am I stoked on? I'm stoked on some raw footage that Colin Kennedy posted of day one on Instagram this week. Kickflip up a curb, and then right there is a really steep bank, and he does a double flip, and he piles on the kickflip and flings the double flip, and um, I, I, I like the... I, I'm not as hot on the process 
anymore because we're, we're putting a lot of really unremarkable bails into videos, but sometimes, and with great skaters like Daywon, being able to see the process is really interesting because it's like, especially the way he skates fast and precise until he's slamming on his face on this bank. Like it's really kind of chaotic. Yeah, that in, that inspired me to try more quick-footed stuff coming up here. Hopefully, I can make good on that claim. It's been really cold here, so I'm super stoked on. Uh, I got some LL Bean lined like chino pants, and they're fantastic for uh, sub-zero temperatures during the day. If you're gonna get out and try to live a little outside, it is sunny. That makes all the difference. Also stoked on the Timberwolves shooting guard, sometimes point guard Anthony Edwards. Didn't make an all-star team this year, but he's been killing it. And, uh, you know, if he makes the next 12 all-star teams, we'll, we'll be good. Patrick, what are you stoked on? I'm stoked on quite a bit this week. First of all, I am stoked on Spitfire Wheels because I'm going to be setting up a fresh one for Slow Impact later this month. I'm really stoked on a, a feature on the infamous fashion brand Pyramos. This is something that came out in a magazine that is called The Cut. If you are into fashion and fashion hijinks, more specifically with brands that kind of go nowhere, uh, especially in haute couture, uh, it is an amazing read. The parallels between high fashion and skateboarding, there are many. It's great fun. I'm really stoked on the Jenkum Volume 3 book, more specifically the party that they threw in LA this past weekend. If you remember being younger and somebody, maybe somebody's parents would go out of town and there'd be a house party and it was legendary and people talked about it for weeks afterwards. This was that skateboarding event in LA this past weekend. My God, we had so much fun. I couldn't believe it. Got to meet so many people who corresponded with collaborated with on either articles they've even been you know folks who have been guests on this podcast and we all get to hang out we all get to hang out shake hands and hug and uh, and share drinks and share stories and laugh i mean i i laughed a lot i had um it was it was a much needed respite from a very very long week at work and a very very long week in the world and finally i'm stoked on black history month and i'd like to say i'd like to say rest in peace to tyree nichols and to shout out to everybody who went skating in his memory, Tyree Nichols was a skateboarder originally from Sacramento, living in Memphis, and who was killed uh, by Memphis police officers during what was supposed to be a quote-unquote routine traffic stop. And we have a whole other conversation about that, but I really got that a lot of people got to get together and skate in his memory, and that you know a lot of people who don't skate got to see footage of him skating, and that that's how hopefully he will be remembered in this world. Templeton, what are you stoked on? Uh, I'm big stoked on my new cat, Frida. She's a 10-month-old black cat, and uh, she's just going crazy. You might have heard her throughout the podcast. But, yeah, great fun to have a kitten in the house again. Also stoked on Adobe Speech Enhancement. I don't know if you listeners have noticed the last two episodes. Hopefully it sounded a little bit better, and that's because I ran them through Adobe's Speech Enhancement. And uh, I will continue doing so unless somebody is like shit sounds all fucked up don't do that anymore but it sounds good to me so i'm stoked on it that's it for our show this week be sure to check out mostly skateboarding.net for links to things that we talked about and other show notes until next time you can keep up with us all week online cole where can people find you you can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at Cole the Wiki. And if you want to go to the newsletter, that is simplemagic.substack.com. Uh, Mike, where can the people find you? 
Thanks for coming on, Cole. I am on the internet. Cole and I are the cool guys with the with the matching IG and Twitter handles. I'm at M Munzenrider. Sorry, dudes. Where can uh, Patrick be found on the internet, Patrick? You can find me on Twitter under the handle at Colonel K Speaks. You can also find me on Instagram under the handle Pikigongo or at Pikigongo rather. And also doing stuff as the acting board chair for the Harold Hunter Foundation. Templeton, where can the people find you on Robert Digital's internet? You can find me on Twitter at Mostly Skate and on Instagram at Mostly Skateboarding. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Dude, cool. Thank you so much for coming on and definitely want to have you on again to talk about the book. Yeah, that's going to be amazing. And and congratulations on submitting the draft and everything. Shit. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Now that you found your paradise This is your kingdom to command You can go outside and polish your car Or sit by the fire in your Shangri-La your reward for working so hard gone are the lavatories in the backyard gone are the days when you dreamed of that car you just want to sit in your Shangri-La put on your slippers and sit by the fire You've reached your top and you just can't get any higher You're in your place and you know where you are In your Shangri-La Sit back in your old rocking chair Seven shillings a week